All right, what's up, Trenton? Everybody online. Hey, my name is Mark Essek. I'm campus pastor at the Allen Park campus and next to ministry at South Point. It's good to be with you, especially everybody that's your first time. Really excited that you are here. We're going to be talking about a team kind of today. And you might not know this or not, but we really celebrate what our team celebrates. It's not like March Madness basketball championship. We celebrate that you're here. That's why we're here. That's why we work hard. We want you to be here and not just attend. I want you to know something. If you keep kind of sticking around, you're going to find a team that wants you. Like there's a role for you. There's a community here that you can find. And we're not going to get a trophy that only lasts and a title for a, for a year. It's going to be something that's eternal, much bigger than that. And that's what we want for you. So we're excited. Before I jump into what we're going to talk about, I just want to let you know, uh, myself and my wife, we took our daughter and uh, we actually went to a movie with Brett and Penny, Brett and Penny Kays. Uh, yesterday is unplanned. It, you don't get to hear a lot about it. And a lot of news outlets aren't talking about it. Um, uh, they don't want the, the message, the truth to get out. But I just want to encourage you. Go check out the movie Unplanned. Great, amazing, challenging film about, uh, yes, it's about the pro-life movement, but it's more than that. Just think, I encourage every single one of you to go out and support it, but also watch it. Um, and you're going to learn something from it, be challenged from it. So anyways, um, we're, we're talking about Acts. And in Acts today, what we're going to find out in chapter 6 is that uh, the church is, is, is like a team. In the New Testament, it describes it like a body, right? And so like a body, every part of a team is important. Every part of the body is important. And, and if you think about team sports, I love team sports. Um, but, but what most happens with team sports People don't really know the whole team. They only know one player. They know the big names like LeBron and Durant, like Messi, Ronaldo, like Candace Parker, Mia Hamm. You're like all these, Brady or Manning. They know the big names, but do you know the rest of the team? Like, do you know the guys or the women who are on the bench play a few minutes, a role player? You don't, do you? Nobody talks about them very often. Why? Because we love superstars. Kids don't get out in their driveway playing like, dude, I want to be a part of a team one day. No, they want to be the best. They want to be the superstar. We don't watch movies very often about a person that just happens to be a part of the team. Matter of fact, next month, the Avengers is coming out, right? What's better than a, than a villain that needs a superhero to defeat it. A villain that takes an entire team of superheroes to have to defeat it. We love watching superheroes and whatever. Think about even like in business, like entrepreneurial, like, a, like business startups or nonprofits. We know the big names like Bezos and Gates and Buffett and Musk, but do we know their team? Like who, who, who works for them? Their ideas and thoughts would just be ideas and thoughts if they didn't have a team surrounding them. And no matter the greatest business person or the greatest sports person ever, Ronaldo, Messi, doesn't matter, if you put that one individual against the other team, they're going to lose every single time. Families. It's, we don't talk about this, but families are just like a team. And it's more, more influential than an organization is a family. Families can change society. And if families got better, societies get better. And oftentimes, the sad thing is families don't get better because sometimes parents believe the best thing they can do for their family is to pursue their own career and interest above what's best for family, to be the superstars. So it's not just in these big things. It's not just in sports. It's in every aspect of life, and it's in the church. And what we find in Acts chapter six which, 6, which is the history book of the church, is the church began to understand that the church is a body, it's a team, and we need to act like a team, not a group of superstars. 
And they begin to have this, uh, for the first time ever, division and something other than 100% unity. You see, up to this point, now we're about two, either between like two to four months or even up to like two to four years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And the church has grown like crazy, lots of rapid expansion and advancement. Uh, some governments and uh, religious leaders have tried to tear it down, destroy it, and yet it continues to grow. So many people have, uh, some of the leaders actually say, let's just see if it'll die out. And it doesn't die out. It keeps growing and advancing. And it's growing so much that now it's a struggle because 12 people, the apostles, cannot manage all of the people. Some estimates are 20,000 Christians in and around Jerusalem. 12 people can't handle that. What we begin to find out is the apostles were doing everything, preaching, teaching, uh, praying, leading, organizing, doing the benevolence ministry. And what makes this or what brings this out is the benevolence ministry of feeding in particular widows. You see, they didn't have social well, like welfare or social services to take care of people. And so the family would take care of one another, right? Well, what if you don't have a family? Well, if you don't, then you're completely dependent upon charity of others, right? Well, the early church, we've already found out, because of what Jesus told them, what they understand about the church is that we are family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. They begin to treat one another like family. And so they took care of each other's needs, even if it wasn't their biological family. They would take their tithes and offerings and lay it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would distribute it as there was need. It was, it was beautiful. It was actually very different than the culture that they were in. It was a powerful demonstration of God's grace and love, and it was working. But you can imagine if there's only a few people leading everything, there's probably a few things that are going to get missed. Some organizational details. And so now you have this uh, breeding ground for division, and the apostles didn't mean to. But while they were kind of busy, not being superstar, superstars, everybody talks about Peter and James and John and all the big names. They weren't doing it for attention. They were just probably doing it. No one ever gave them an operational manual on how to organize a church. And so they were just doing their best. But they've realized that their bottleneck for growth, but also it's a breeding ground for division because you had these Hebraic Jews and Grecian Jews who came from kind of different backgrounds, spoke different language, and they, they started to, to fight. There was some dissension because uh, the Hellenistic ones, the, the Grecian Jews thought that they were being overlooked. Most likely it was an oversight, but in their culture, oftentimes the Hebraic Jews or the Hellenistic Jews did look down on the Hebraic Jews. They thought that they were, I mean, on the Hellenistic Jews, they thought that they were better than them. They thought that they were kind of beneath them. So maybe that creeped in or it was creeping in into the church. But the apostles were just realizing that something needs to change. And in this moment, it's a hinge point. It's a big, it's a big moment in the church. What are they going to do? Because this could divide the momentum, the church, the leadership. It could bring down this movement. Will they be willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission that Jesus set, set up for them. And so in this moment, they realize that it's not about individuals. It's about this team. What you think about, what's the most important stat in a church? So some might say like the membership, like how many members you have? Well, you could have a, a million members and only 200 people show up, right? What about the attendance? Oh man, everybody that's coming on a week to week basis, you can have a lot of attenders, but nothing gets accomplished, right? So imagine it being like a sports game, football game, or anything like that. How many spectators are in the stadium? Who cares? Like, how, how do you win the Super Bowl or the World Cup or any sporting event? Is it based on the spectators? Nope. 
It doesn't matter how many, it's what the team does on the field, right? It's how they win. It's how they play together. Did they score? That kind of stuff, right? Same thing here. Like, we're not really that interested in spectators. We want people to come, but at the same time, like, it's not spectators that move the ball down the field, that win the game. It's the team. What's the difference between a spectator and a team member? It's commitment, a commitment to contribute, to be a part of the team, to get out of the bleachers, sign me up, coach. I'll play whatever role it takes. I'm in. And the apostles begin to realize the power of the church is this team. And so they begin to empower the team, not lift individuals up, not that they have to be everything. They empower the team, the church, the body. And there's this word that comes into play, diaconus, and it means one who serves. That's the word that's used here to describe the seven men that they set aside somewhat. Now, this isn't the official term deacons. They're not necessarily called deacons right here, although that's the New Testament. It's a title that's given to those who are like leaders over ministry areas, it seems like. Everybody should be diaconus, like one who serves. Everybody should be one who serves, but amongst those who serve, so you have this group of people that serve, there's some that stand out, potentially could be deacons. And what are they looking for? So what does this early church look for? The same qualifications that we now see in 1 Timothy 3, men and women of good character who represent the church well. It's not a popularity contest. It's not who has the the best talents, the best clothes, the most influence. It's the character and your life. Like, is the Holy Spirit kind of demonstrated all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience? Are you living a life that's like spiritual velocity moving towards God? And as those group of people who are serving, people stand out. And so they call out these seven and say, we want to allow you this opportunity to serve, to help us meet the mission, to, make, to accomplish the mission, because they realized they were bottleneck. It's never going to happen if they don't do this. But sometimes, isn't it like, I, I go into the kitchen sometimes, my wife, like she chops vegetables a certain way, she organizes things a certain way, and if I go in there even trying to help, hey, please don't mess with this. This is my area. This is my space. I know what I'm doing, right? She's not being mean. She's just, right, that's the same thing. I got in the garage or somewhere else, like, oh, I put that there. Or, ooh, are you really going to do it that way? Could you do it this way? Like, we get involved in things, and don't we quickly say that's my ministry, my hobby, my whatever? And we have a hard time letting go. Yeah, we all do. They hear the apostles are. Did they struggle letting it go? I honestly don't know if they struggled or not, but they let it go. And we are going to have to do that. Like, what's more important, the mission or me? The best leaders, the best teams, corporations, families, churches recognize what's important is to empower the team, not build up individuals, but empower the team. And as the team grows, the mission can be accomplished. How do they do it? Well, they first, they have to prioritize the mission. That's what they did, and that's what we need to do. The mission is what's the most important, not the ministry. And so what they realize is like the mission was not to feed the widows. The mission was to advance the gospel, to make disciples of every nation. That's what Jesus said. And so if they were to change the mission and now all of a sudden we exist to feed the widows, they would be a great nonprofit that's serving and doing great things, but they would not be doing what Jesus called them to do. Now understand, when the mission is to win the, the, the world to Christ, to share the gospel, there's lots of tasks and things that have to be done to accomplish it, all kinds of things. So as you bring in a group of people, there will be needs 
that will need to be met. And those are essential to accomplishing, to moving towards the mission. But that's not the mission. The mission doesn't change to advance the gospel. And the apostles recognized that here. So they held high the one most important thing that they, are, they exist for, to share the gospel. And they said, we cannot neglect that. We need to do this, but we cannot neglect sharing the gospel. And that's exactly what they did. Our natural tendency, isn't it, to make what we do the most important? To be the superstar. So we jump onto a team and say, man, this is, dude, this ministry team is great. This is the most important thing. Everybody should love it as much as I should. Everybody should care about it and give to it and, and think about it the way that I think about it. But that's not exactly true. The apostles recognize that the mission is most important. We're all going to serve in different ways with different roles and talents. The best team isn't a team that's full of people doing what they want to do. The best teams are the teams that are 100% engaged in the same mission, like on task together. We want to accomplish that, and so we'll do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission. What's our mission here at, down, here at South Point? To win downriver to Christ. That's it. That's our mission. There's all kinds of ministries. There's all kinds of tasks that have to be accomplished in order for that to be a reality. But the mission remains the same and the priority. Win down river to Christ. And if you're not serving yet, I just want you to know that because that is what we want you to be a part of. That's the goal for this team. That's what we're after. Not a trophy, not for you to do something, but that. And I'm committed to that mission, not the role. I'm committed to that mission. I'll play whatever role is necessary to accomplish that. And I want you to hear this online or in person today, whether it's your first time or you've been here for years, there's a role for you to play that's necessary, that's essential. And if you don't play your part, if I don't play my part, the whole team suffers. There's a part for you. And here's the deal. Everybody can open a door. So I don't want you to open a door. What I want you to be is be on mission. And when you're on mission, then you recognize you're not just opening up a door out there. You are literally sharing the love of Jesus Christ with someone else. That person who's walking into the door, you don't know their backstory. You don't know what kind of year they've had, what kind of month they've had. It could have been the worst ever. They could be depressed right now. They could be going through a divorce. They could go through a family breakup. There could be all kinds of things happening in their life. And you realize if you're on mission, because I want to win down river to Christ, when I open up this door, I am sharing the love of Jesus Christ with this person. I'm not just providing child care on the other side of this building. No, no, no. I am investing in the next generation. I'm sharing the gospel so that it will influence the entire family of this child and hopefully all of downriver. You see, when you're a part of the mission, when you're, when you're committed to the mission, the task becomes secondary. We'll do whatever it takes to accomplish this. And when all of us are running in the same direction, then we can accomplish the mission. Once we prioritize the mission, what the early church realized and what we need to is then we have to start to recognize and equip the talent. They were so busy in the beginning because they were doing everything to see the, the, the talent around them, to think that they need to equip everybody else. But they began to realize they're a bottleneck. And then oftentimes in churches today, they say it's the 80-20% principle. 80% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. It's probably a little better. It's better here, but still the point is the same. There's a lot of work being done by a few, amount, few people. So what do you look for when you're trying to recognize and equip, right? 
It says in verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. They weren't looking for rock stars and superstars. They weren't looking for the most talented and richest or prettiest. Or they were looking for committed people. Hey, who is already moving towards Jesus? Like, who's already kind of excited about this Jesus, about this church? And when they recognize them, they would begin to equip them. Same with us. Listen, it's not a rock star. You don't have to become something before you can jump on the team. It's we can recognize that you're here. You're, you're moving in the right direction. So let's recognize that and begin to equip you so you can be a part of this team. You realize that in, the, in America, the a- national average of church, the size is 75 people. Very few ever get above 200 or 400. Only 5% ever get above 600. You know why? 75 people is about the amount of people one person, one minister can do everything and do it well. They can kind of minister to the needs of that many people. But as soon as you get above that, it requires more people, more leadership. You see, leaders aren't supposed to do, they're supposed to lead. And what we see in Apostle Paul later writes about this early church and what they realized, the goal of the church is not to, the leaders is not to do stuff, it's to equip Listen to this. It says in Ephesians 4, Paul says, he is the one who gave these gifts, God, to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these leaders, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Equip others to do the work, to build the church up, so the the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Notice there's two things there. Every, every single person on mission serving because there's a role. We all have the ability to serve. And then the leaders are supposed to equip, not do. It's the beauty of a body. Every Jordan needs a Pippin. Every, every you know, like a, a LeBron needs a Wade. Every superstar needs a team. Every church needs leaders and volunteers and servants, deacons, all of us on mission together to accomplish the mission, to win down river to Christ. And if I'm not using my gifts and talents, if you're not using your gifts and talents, it's either because you're neglecting them, or refusing to, or because I'm not giving you the opportunity and I'm keeping it from you. I don't want either one of those to happen because the whole body suffers when one part doesn't work well and church growth is stifled. A century or so ago, an evangelist, D.L. Moody, used to say something like this, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. Listen, I, I like to build things. I'm not saying I'm good at it. I just like to, like little things. And my things that I build aren't very safe and probably don't look that great. I'm the only one who probably appreciates them. Maybe my wife goes, he's like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's horrible, but so sweet. Thanks for trying. That kind of thing. I, I, don't, I shouldn't be building things. I, and, and I understand on this, and I, Bradley, I can't be at every funeral. I can't be at every wedding. I can't be at every small group. I can't be at every event. You understand this. Brett can't be at everything. Rich and all the leaders, we can't be at every single thing, doing every single thing. And if we were, what we've been, what we understand, what we've learned is this, that we would become bottlenecks for growth and we would be the breeding grounds for division. Because it would all be about us. It'd all be about the campus. It'd all be about this certain team. But it's not. 
And so if we're really passionate about the mission, if that's really what we're called to do, then we have to sacrifice. If there's any kind of ego, you got to let go of it and say, this is more important. It doesn't matter what role. It doesn't matter what title, what position, what skill, what any. It doesn't matter. It's all secondary to the mission. What do we need to accomplish this? And what we need is every single person 100% engaged in the mission. Not every single person as a superstar, not every single person doing all kinds of things, every single person. I'm asking you not to expect us to do everything, and I promise you I won't expect the same of, of anybody else. But I, what I do want to ask is this, everybody get on the team and serve. Simple as that. When we prioritize the mission, we begin to recognize and equip the talent because we understand that the team, the best team that ever, the best team that we can be is a team where everybody is fully engaged. And so then we finally, the final thing is we have to release that team. Let them go, man. Cut the cord. Let them serve. I mean, the apostles could have talked to Big Game and said, yeah, we need to do this, but not let go or give kind of responsibility or say, I want you to do this, but I'm going to make you do it exactly the way that I did it. Doesn't it seem like that's what they did? They said, we're going to give this over. Listen to verse four. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. We're going to give this over to you. Run, make it awesome. Let God use you to do amazing things with this. And we're going to do this. So we're both doing essential things for the ministry, for the mission. Together, we make a much better team. See what they did. Not, well, if you do it the way that I do it, or if you care about it as much as they, they let him go. They gave them responsibility, freedom. Imagine what it would look like if here at South Point, if 100% of the people were fully engaged like this. 1,500 people freed to go, responsibility to do ministry. Again, not my ministry, not your ministry, the ministry of the church to accomplish the mission to win down river to Christ. When you jump on a team, you, can't, you don't go tell the coach, coach, um, here's what I'm going to do on this team. In the NBA, that happens probably all the time. And what the coach has to do is check egos and say, wait a minute, I appreciate your, but no, here's what the team needs. I'm subservient. I'm a servant to the mission. The church isn't here to exist to serve me. And when there's a few at the top that lead, that do everything, then a consumeristic mindset sets in and everybody believes, wait a minute, that means the church is here to, to serve me. But that's not the true church. The church exists to empower you to serve. Matter of fact, that's our big idea today. God has empowered you to serve, not sit. Not sit on the bleachers, not even sit on the bench. Man, on this team, everybody is in the game. You have an, a, a mission, a, a role, a task to accomplish because you have a talent and an ability. I don't know what anyone else has ever said to you, but you were not created to attend. You're not here to just listen. Like you're here because God wants you to be a part of the greatest team ever. And it will never die. It's eternal. And you will make the most impact you could ever make in your life when you serve a team like the church because it's eternal impact. You're never going to find anything greater than this. And you're wanted. 
Like you don't have to like prove it. You're wanted. Like God wants you to be a part of this team. That's powerful. What happens when you prioritize the mission, when you recognize and equip and when you release the team? The same thing that we see in the New Testament will happen with us. Two things, rapid growth and more and better servants. Simple as that. Rapid growth and more and better servants. When the apostles, and when the apostles recognized what God was doing in others and released ministry, then people like Stephen came up. Stephen was released to go do this. Remember, it was a benevolent ministry to feed widows. And all of a sudden, now Stephen is going well beyond the job description. And God has opened up all kinds of doors and ministry opportunities for him outside of the church and outside of that one ministry. And he's full of grace and spirit. Notice, why did all of these doors open for Stephen? Why was he able to do all of these things? But God was able to use him like this. Verse 8. A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs. He was full of God's grace and power. Not because he was a superstar. It was actually because he said no to himself. Listen, I'm not going to be a superstar and I'm going to serve. And as he served, God opened up more opportunities because he was full of God's grace and spirit. He was 100% on mission with Jesus. You see, when we die to ourselves, God can use us. When we no longer live for our mission, God can do amazing things with and through us. Not what I want, but what he wants. When we begin to prioritize the mission, it, it causes us to start thinking about others more. And when we do that, then it causes us to prioritize others and we try to equip them to accomplish the mission. God has God-sized dreams and ministries and missions inside of every single one of you. Everybody watching online and here today, The sad thing is most of us won't recognize them because we'll never get past serving my mission, the mission of you, your purpose. But God's got something bigger for you. There are lots of people all over the world and in our country doing pretty extraordinary things for the church, for God. And I want you to understand something. Every single one of them was just like you, sitting somewhere in a service, listening, attending, enjoying, getting benefits from what changed when they got engaged, when they said yes to serving, to getting involved, no longer sitting on the bleachers, but I'm on the team somehow. And when that happened, then God did something in them and through them and opened up all kinds of, all kinds of doors and opportunities. Listen, there are missionaries sitting in this room here today, watching online. There's future pastors in here, small group leaders, door greeters, parking lot greeters, ministers to, to the sick and to hospital, kids and teens, volunteers and leaders. They're sitting in this room and watching online today. You might not see that, but God does. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I do too. What would it take for that to happen? Same thing with me and anybody else. To say yes to something other than me. I went on a missions trip one time when I was in high school and then I came back and I started serving. And as soon as I started involved, getting involved, because I was just attending, I was enjoying, I was sitting in services, getting all the benefits of it, making friends. But as soon as I got engaged and started serving, all of a sudden I became, I became full of that grace and spirit that God's talking about. And you see things differently. And now all of a sudden you, you're excited about serving others and you see the potential. Listen, I've seen teenagers and kids change lives and communities. 
I've seen full-time moms and dads that didn't say, I'll take a break during the kids' years. They fully ministered to their family and served. I've seen retired people who said, I'm not going to live the good life and retire. They're going to double down on their, their investment in the kingdom, and God used them in even bigger ways. College and young adult students who didn't just focus on their future, but allowed God to say, I want to serve, and God did something big in their life. No matter where you are, God has equipped you for something that he wants. He's got a, a mission, a task, a And it starts when we say yes to him and no to me. When we die to ourselves and say, yes, I'm in for the mission. So I want to invite you to be a part of the mission, not to serve South Point, but to serve God, to jump on the team, to say yes for him, yes to him, so that he can use you to accomplish whatever it is that he has for you. What would that look like here? Imagine 100% of South Point, 100% fully engaged, saying yes to God, Winning down over to Christ would be a reality. I really believe that. Do you? Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you for being a God that is very different than us. We dream about being the superstar, and you somehow dreamed about sacrificing and demonstrating your love through your son. You're amazing. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for establishing it. Thank you for showing us what the church is supposed to look like and for accomplishing your mission through us. And there are people in this room, God, you are calling us to serve. And I pray that we would say yes to you more often. And some of us today would for the first time say yes to you so you can accomplish your mission through us in our families, in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and yes, here in Down River. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.